I want to avail myself to God's will tonight. How many want to do that? I want to be open to Him and to His Word. Amen. For the sake of time, I would like to turn in our text to Psalms chapter 19. And as you're turning there, I want to thank Pastor for the opportunity to serve this congregation give you what God has laid on my heart. I feel it so, so heavily on my heart. It's been there for days and days, and I, I just want to deliver what God has given to me and just do my part. Amen. I want the Word to change me tonight, saints. I, I don't want to walk out of this house thinking that, oh, I just made it another service. Amen. But I want God to change me. Amen. Psalms chapter 19 and verse 1, we'll be reading through verse 6. It says to the chief musician, the psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone out throughout through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heavens, and his circuit unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Amen. Amen. I like to preach to you tonight about the finely tuned, finely tuned by the hand of God. Finely tuned by the hand of God. If we could lay our Bibles down, asking God to touch us tonight, lifting our hearts unto Him. Heavenly Father. Amen, amen. You may be seated. I feel uh, God has laid something on my heart to say before I get into my message. Maybe it's related, maybe it's not. And I want to say, firstly, I hate to even talk about money, not only because pastors like that, just because that's how I've been. I've always been that way. I don't like to discuss money, but in the points that I want to pull from the financial spectrum tonight, I will say from the onset that we're not going to do some exhaustive study. Instead, I'd like to just pull a few points from the subject. This does not mean that the statements that I'm going to make are inaccurate or crafted for the sole benefit of a preaching point, but I want to make a few statements that God laid on my heart, and I want to just share them. And we'll move on. The prosperity doctrine, it's defined by a small copy and paste of snippets of scriptures that back up their teaching. 
takes a solid biblical teaching and then distorts them to give them the appearance of good teaching. When in fact they're teaching the opposite of what the Bible teaches, give is what they're trying to tell you so you can get. That's what the prosperity doctrine is. It's garbage. And so many mainstream household names in the secular religious world, ministers, are ate up with it. So I have a few more things to say, but I'll put it this way. So before you swim in their pond, you better see what's at the bottom. In every example we think of of the followers of Jesus Christ, we find where they forsook everything they had to follow after him. And the prosperity doctrine wants to keep you believing that if you keep pouring every penny into their ministry, funding their affluent lifestyles, you'll buy their books, their calendars, you'll subscribe to their blog posts, you'll follow them on social media, and you'll keep them affluent and rich, all the while people are dying spiritually. Now you may be thinking, God, does God want me to be broke, poor, can't make ends meet, saint of God sitting on the pew, or does God want me to be able to give my tithe and offering to help the ministry and the church? And the answer is yes. God wants you poor, destitute, without, broke, in worldliness. He does not want you rich in worldliness in any fashion. He wants you to be rich in spirit. We get so caught up in the financial side of life sometimes. I've been there, done that, played those games, not willing to get the participation trophy. God wants us to be rich in spirit. We find that God provided for men. He gave them a fish, opened up the mouth, and provided. It wasn't their typical way. These were professional fishermen. Had never caught a fish like this before. And the problem is that when we pursue earthly gain, we pick up worldliness as well. And you may wonder, why is that? That is because the world increases your earthly net worth, it comes at a cost. But when God increases your heavenly net worth, it counters what the world requires of you. And when God gives an increase, it is without additional commitment to the world. The investment is in the kingdom of God. And the whole point of this message is to know your place and invest where you're planted. And don't make the mistake of saying, well, since the door for me to do X in the kingdom did not open for me, then I will stay here and be a successful professional going to the truth church. Don't put your kingdom calling on the same decision plane as your earthly ambitions. I'll say that again. Don't put your kingdom calling on the same decision plane as your earthly ambitions. We live simultaneously in these two realms. God gives us the Holy Ghost and wisdom to navigate these realms. And the calling of the saints of God is to temporarily live in this world. But we must always walk in the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, and against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So we th see in the Scripture, for you to walk on this earth and walk simultaneously in the Spirit, you need 
the fruit of the Spirit in your life. If you are lacking in that area, you're only going to be walking just here on earth. God has asked us to be called out of that lifestyle, out of that world that we don't get so wrapped up in that we cease to see the value of the kingdom of God. God wants us to be successful in the Spirit and not measure spiritual success on the same plane as earthly success. Now I will continue into what God had laid on my heart as well. And just give me a moment to lay a brief foundation. Most people with a musical background have heard of middle C on a piano. Now I am the least qualified to even mention anything about music. I play the drums. I don't play in a key. I play with a rhythm. But drums are tuned and can be tuned to a specific note. They can have a note assigned to them. We see the requirements of a music note. Is it for it to be in tune, an instrument, for it to be in tune every time? And I go back to my childhood. I remember as a young man sitting on the altar watching Elder Shaw, a man, come and tune the piano the church I was at. And I sat there and watched him take the back off and access all of the intricacies of that piano and began to tap. He wasn't playing the keys. He was behind there tapping with hammers. And he would tap this and make a little adjustment here and tap this and make another adjustment. And he went through the whole board of the piano and began to just get it how he wanted it. And then he stepped back and sat down on the bench, pulled out a piece of music, laid it up there, and began to play the piano. He was a craftsman. And as a young child, I watched him do that several times as he'd come to our church and tune the piano. Musicians tune their piano. Brother Kaiser will get up there and tune the bass guitar and begin to feel it out. A guitar player, they'll pick it up because they understand that things of our environment causes those instruments to get out of tune. Humidity, the handling, bumping them, the, the, how the moisture in the wood reacts as it expands and contracts. And a musician who cares about how they sound will tune their instrument. This is needed so there's perfect harmony. When one key is pressed on the keyboard and it is played with the chord, it sounds the way that it's supposed to. And God uses His Word to gradually tune us as we walk through life. And what adjusts us out of tune is worldliness. What pulls us out of tune with what God has orchestrated for our life is worldliness, is the influences of the world. It's the flesh, it's the desires of our heart that pulls us out of tune with what he wants. Now you may be asking, what did you talk about money and now you're talking about music and good question. The Bible has an answer. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, pierced themselves through with many arrows. Matthew 6 and 24, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Hebrews 13 and 5, let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. First Timothy 6 and 5. Perverse disputings of men, corrupt of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. Second Timothy 3.12. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, covetous boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. James 2 and 5, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? 1 John 2, 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Matthew 19, 23 and 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. I think the word of God has settled it. I think it's very clear that we are not to be drawn that way. But to get back to where God is wanting to speak tonight about being finely tuned by the hand of God. If a chord is played with partial accuracy, then the chord does not represent the song that the composer created. It's inaccurate. It's not complete. If we decide, well, I'll play it this way, you'll find that the tune begins to change, and it's not the same song. When the notes are all performed in perfect harmony, something beautiful happens. There's that unison. There can even be the very first chord on a song. You can play just one note. If I'm saying it correctly, play one key. You can just press one key that comprises of that chord. And you won't pick it out, but then you put it with the rest of that. And then you find someone that can just lay their hand and play it. And you're like, I know what song that is. Sometimes people strive for notoriety. People strive for, I want to be middle C in the kingdom of God. I want to be recognizable. I want to have someone know my name. I, and it all just starts with I. But you don't understand that middle C may be recognizable on the keyboard, but it's also a part of many different chord structures as they're played. It's not the one that everybody walks up to. It's a reference point. There can only be one reference point on the keyboard. There can only be one reference point in the church. We can't all be middle C. We can't all play the same part. There are no songs where someone sits there and just pounds middle C. But when it's been finely tuned, when they put the sheet music in front of them, and they begin to lay their hand on that keyboard and let it just flow, music comes out, and that's how the church is. The beauty of a life submitted to the plan of God is that God can use a perfectly tuned instrument any way he chooses. What was thought to be a lone note, all alone, 
has now the accompanying instruments that begin to play alongside. God is not asking you to do this a cappella. He's not asking you to stand up and do a lone performance. He's just saying, do your part. That's all he's asking. He's not saying try to influence just the way what in tune and out of tune is. I'm not great at music, and you probably understood that just by me stumbling through the analogy of trying to reference music. But I do know that you will find people that will tune their guitars out of tune. They will change the tuning. They will change the structure of that instrument to play to their needs. You'll find that a player will spend time tuning his instrument on a guitar, but then he will begin to play it and to place emphasis He will pull the strings and make that tone change. He will flex the neck of that guitar. He'll bend the guitar and make it, but that's upon the player's decision, not upon this fret, this note, this chord, this string, this key. God is the one who dictates who you are and what you are tuned to. God is the one who reaches down with his nail-scarred hand and reaches down and You sound a little off and begin to just tweak it just a little bit. The problem is, we like to look at messages, even the one like I'm preaching tonight, as a standalone message. God likes to put things together. There's continuity between every service. I don't know if you know this, but all the men of God that come to this pulpit, I have faith and confidence that they go find the mind of God. They're not going to preachit.com and finding some message. They're not opening some book at Mardell's of the 20 best messages for 2020 that you can preach in 21 that no one will ever know about. God orchestrates every service and every message God reaches down and finally tunes us. God puts us in the place that we need to be. Now, I said something about the beauty of a life, and the word that followed that was the word submitted. Now, I feel the least of anyone to even talk about the word submission. I feel least qualified to be able to go in and teach on that, and I'm not, but I want to reference something. If you as a saint of God could understand the power of, of just being submitted to the plan of God. If you would be willing to walk up and say, God, whatever you got to do, whatever you have to do, when you're so desperate for God that you'll just say, God, I'm yours. Now, you had to do that at one point in time. For God to fill you with the Holy Ghost, you had to submit yourself. You had to give yourself wholly to Him and say, God, I surrender all. But sometimes we become so callous because we have so many things in our life that try to pull us one way or the other. The problem is sometimes we look up and we realize, oh, I'm making music. I'm I'm, I'm doing something. And then we understand, I don't recognize that hand. That doesn't have nail scars on it. 
I'm trying to play the same music, but the person playing the instrument is not anointed. The person that's praying for me, that doesn't feel right. And you understand that you've drifted over, and you begin to pick up the tune of another song, and you're playing the wrong music, and it's influenced your life, and it's changed you. But being submitted to God, being submitted to His plan, and being submitted to the man of God, our pastor, our bishop, in our life, being submitted to what God has dictated before us. I'm not trying to be a prophet or spiritual, but just, just common sense. Just go with me through the vein of common sense. The last four or five messages, God's trying to get us to understand He's wanting to take us there. You don't have to even have the Holy Ghost to understand this, saints. This is so elementary. Anybody could listen to the messages we've been hearing and understand something's off, something's different, something's changing. It's not just, you know, make me feel good. It's not the Joel Osteen standing there batting his eyelashes. But God's trying to do something in the truth, church. We have to submit to the plan. It's going to cost us. We're going to have to lay some things aside. And walk in the plan. Because he's trying to put us in the perfect environment. Now you may say, well, I, I go to church. You've you got to understand that. So we as humanity have been placed in the most perfect environment to do God's plan. God is the creator. Everything that is outside these doors we walk out away from humanity, you separate yourself, and you go stand in nature, and you understand that everything that was created was made to worship Him. In Psalms chapter 8 and verse 3, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Psalms 33 in verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. So to stand in awe and look up into the heavens, knowing, and we could go read Genesis, knowing that the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the perfect environment. We are standing in an amphitheater of worship in the midst of God's creation. And what pulls us away from what nature is doing. The Bible says nature thus does teach us to worship Him. We, we understand that standing here on earth, we have been given the perfect opportunity when the Word of God says, place your foot down and walk, and it tells us, uh, and inscribes things that must happen in this perfect environment here on earth. Uh, you could go to the moon, but you wouldn't be able to understand everything. You wouldn't have the, the valleys. You wouldn't have the lush green pastures. You wouldn't be able to appreciate uh, the Word of God. You could stand on another planet and begin to read this Word, and you would only understand really the heavens. But it's because we're here on this little marble called earth that we can understand the lily of the valley, the rose of Sharon, 
the dew that springs up in the morning. And when the Word of God begins to paint the beautiful picture of how nature is worshiping God, we place ourselves within that environment and say, I want to add myself to the host of the voice that goes up and just says, Hosanna, holy, great and mighty He is, our Creator, Majesty. And we come to our text in Psalms chapter 19, and it says to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. We understand that when we stand out And I can't tell you how many times my family can tell you, I do this all the time, we'll walk out from the church service, walk out the doors facing the horizon, and I just stand there in awe and observe a beautiful sunset. There's just something about a beautiful sunset. But for me, it goes beyond the colors that paint across the horizon. I begin to look at it and say, wow, God You did an awesome job on that one. That's amazing. That's beautiful. He has created this environment that allows us to stand here in awe of Him, regardless of what's going on around us. Who can't stop when they see a sunset and say, wow. Or a rainbow that's so vibrant across the sky, and you see it, and it's so vivid and clear. And people say, oh, that's pretty. And I remind me of a covenant. And it goes back in my mind. It means more than just colors in the sky. It means more than lucky charms. It means more than just the little fat Irish guy sitting at the end of a rainbow with a pot of gold that no one ever finds. But I go back and I say, God, you did something beautiful. Beautiful. And God created this perfect performance hall for His glory to be proclaimed. And His glory is expressed in all the heavens. It's expressed in all the earth, in all the expanse of space. And all of God's creation is to proclaim that He is King of all kings. And in this perfect environment, we find that is filled with worship unto the Creator, humanity is formed. And God gave Adam the responsibility to name all of the animals and give them all of their identity. However, when they fell in sin, Adam and Eve, in the garden, God cursed the ground and forced mankind to be a slave to eat from it all the days of their life and it's true because we do it today and God used creation to tame and keep mankind in check if I could say it this way God has been tuning mankind ever since the first man was ever created it was God that would walk down in the cool of the day and walk through the garden and commune with man and Adam had that perfect opportunity and his bride Eve to be in the presence of God but when they were removed from the garden and said you're no longer going to be here and I'm going to put an angel to guard this and now you're going to have to toil among 
the thorns and the thistles, and you're going to have to eat from the land every day from here on out. God cursed it, buddy. What he did was he used creation to keep us in check. He put us out into a place to where everything about creation is in reverence and honor unto God. He created the perfect environment for us to worship Him. Reading on in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 7, continuing on past our text, the law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple, the statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The law or the doctrine of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. It's the plan. We must accept. Many times people want to say, if only, and they would like to change their situation or their life. But God placed each and every one of us in this place that we call life within the spectrum of time that we all have to live. Within our time of my birthday starting day one, here's your opportunity. I want you to worship me. I want you to praise me. I want you to magnify me. And he put me in the midst of all of his creation for me to be able to lift up my voice and be able to say, God, I give my all to you. He used creation to tame man, and he's using it today to be able to say, oh, you think you can go over and turn off a spigot, but have you ever went to a raging waterfall and say, I wish I could just turn it off because the noise is so loud? Have you ever camped next to a river that was noisy, and you first pull up and you're like, oh, that's so peaceful, it's so great. But after you've been there a while, it's just this droning noise in the background. You're having to raise your voice to talk to somebody. In the middle of the night, you don't understand because all you can hear is that river flowing and rushing and making noise. You can't hear anything else that's maybe a couple hundred yards away. You're so close to the noise that you don't realize. God uses nature to prove to us He's in control. You can't go and turn off rivers. People try. They dam them up. God uses nature to bust them wide back open. He'll flood. I can't remember who said it the other day about, actually I was listening to a message that was one of the ones that Pastor referenced about, Brother Westberg actually preached it about, they dammed up, um, was it Tuttle Creek out there in Junction, or Manhattan? I can't remember what it is. Uh, they, they dammed that up and they said they'll never reach this stage. And it exceeded it. The thing about nature is, I mean, even the Titanic, it's heralded as the greatest boat that never floated. How great is it? It's great at the bottom of the ocean. God uses nature to keep us in check. God uses things that we think we have control of. Oh, I'll make a path over it. And the next thing you know... Someone falls and dies because they went down that same path. God uses nature. But if we step back and understand the environment that we've been put into the church, 
It's here to keep us in check. Our worship to keep us in check. The preaching of the Word of God, the teaching of the Word of God to keep us in check. To fine-tune us by the hand of God. People like to treat churches like they treat their jobs. My boss has to treat me such that I want to stay here forever. And then they want to walk into a church and they want to look at the pastor and say, he's got to treat me like I want to stay here forever. Not understanding that a boss just writes the paycheck, but a preacher is fighting for your soul. Trying to keep you from going down a path that is eternal damnation. My boss, I, I don't want him to come in my office and scream and yell at me. But a preacher, get to that pulpit and tell me what I must do to be saved. Tell me what I must do to be saved. Preach to my heart. Preacher, preach to me. Tune me to the Word of God. I don't have time to play patty cake. I don't have time to have my feelings so so close to the surface of my skin that just whenever he says something that's just right there on the edge of the Word of God about just repent. Oh, I begin to bleed and I'm wounded. No, cut me deep. I want to know what it takes to be saved. I want to know what salvation is. I want to know what it takes to bring my family and put them on a church pew and how to keep my kids saved and give them an opportunity to go out and make their own decisions and put something deep in their heart. Preacher, preach to me. I want the Word of God to finally tune me to the message that He wants me to say, the song that He wants me to sing, and the words that He wants me to say. Psalms 119 and 105, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalms 18 and verse 30, As for God... His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all those that trust in Him. Psalms 111 and verse 7 says, The works of His hands are verity and judgment. All of His commandments are sure. God knows how to finely tune His children. He knows the right way to adjust us, modify us, convert us to His ways. And when the preaching gets uncomfortable, I don't want to say, oh, you offended me, preacher. I want to say, God, what is it? What is it? Show me. I want you to dig it out. I want you to pull it out of me. I don't care how bad it hurts. I don't care how much I bleed. God, I want you to pull it out of me. We can read Psalms 23, but in verse 3 it says, He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Anytime I find myself wandering in this path of life and I don't find the familiar touch of God, it's because I decided to go down my own path. And I can't expect the preacher to come pull me up because I'm ignorant and I want to do my own thing or I want to blaze my own trail. But I want him to holler my name. Say, Douglas, come back. Come back. We're hollering for you. Come back. We're here to rescue you. Come to my voice. I'm not going to go in the life of sin that you decided, but I want you to come back. He restoreth my soul.
Psalms 119 and verse 9, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. To God's word. Now we can read every self-help book in the world. We can go spend more time on hearing every man's opinion. But you better be finding the opinion of the word of God in your life. If that can't govern you, nothing else will. Others will just patty cake. When it starts to offend you, you'll put it down and say, well, I've just lost interest. We can't afford to lose interest in the word of God. David writes some of the last verses of this psalm and hones in on the effect of God's law on the man that diligently pursues after God. In Psalms 19 and 12, says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. The psalmist says, I have surveyed the men of perfection and have not found any. People that self-proclaim to be perfect, I haven't found any. The broad application of the law made by people so they feel perfect, in fact, it's spread so thin that they apply an imperfect standard to their life. That's what churches all across town are doing. They're applying a so thinly veiled fraction of the Word of God that you can mold it over anything. And it, oh, that looks like the truth. Oh, you want to quote a scripture and then tell me what you feel about that and define the doctrine of Jesus Christ based upon your feelings. That's not how the Word of God works. The Word of God works, thus says the Word of God. This is how you're going to be saved. This is how you're going to please God with all of your heart. This is how you're going to make it to heaven. That's what I want the man of God to say to me. We cannot apply an imperfect standard just to make us feel good. In Psalms 119 and 96 through 97, it says, I have seen an end to all perfection and all perfection, but thy commandments is exceeding broad. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. It is the law of God that keeps me in tune. It is His love. It is His commandments. The law of God is a refuge instead of being resentment. I love the Word of God. It is what governs me. It is what keeps me. It is the biblical truths that pastor gets up and every preacher that graces this pulpit and comes to this sacred desk they come in and they preach the word of God. And the law, as it gave the children of Israel their identity, it gives me my identity. You have to cleave to it. We find that the children of Israel were one of the few societies in history to have a written law that orchestrated their lives. It elevated them above being a, to a legitimate identity, instead of only being a tribe, it gave them their identity. They traveled homeless, but as a nation, they had an identity. They wandered in the wilderness, but they had an identity. 
They had a law that governed them. They may have moved from place to place. They may have lived in places that were nations and kings that were not their own. But there was a law all along that governed them. Did they listen to it always? No. Did they abide by what God had given to them? No, they did not. But it gave them their identity to reckon back to. It was the tuning of the children of Israel that brought them back in the hand of God as he began to tune them and say, oh, you want a king? I'll let you have a king. And they run rampant and they do what was good. Uh, Even the day of judges done what was good in the eyes of themselves. And Oh, we want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. And all the while, the king of all kings finally tuning them. In Psalms 19 and verse 13, it says, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let them not have dominion over me. You can read in John chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In verse 14, in Psalms chapter 19 and verse 14, David is saying, God, let what is deeply buried within my heart, deep within my conscience, erupt out of me, and my prayer, O God, is that what I have deep within me be pleasing to you. And pastor talked to the M&M class last night and so beautifully addressed Whatever is deep within you, be pulled out by the Word of God, by the man of God. And this scripture I find in Psalms 19 and verse 14, it says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Let the work that is going on inside of me, let it please God. I want whatever is deep in me that no one else may ever see. I want it to please Him. We can go to 1 Peter. A few more verses of Scripture left. We can go to 1 Peter where his letter, it was intended for the believers that had been scattered across Asia Minor. and He was sending a letter to them. And in verse chapter 1 and verse 18, It says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by traditions, sorry, from tradition from your fathers. And what that literally means, literal translation is your futile manner of life. Tradition from your fathers. Your futile manner of life. What Peter is saying is the things that you be, have become accustomed to in life will not cleanse you. It is only by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we understand fully that it cost Jesus Christ as he sacrificed himself and lay upon a cross. It was that precious blood of Jesus Christ. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, as it was sacrificed. And in 1 Corinthians 
chapter 15 and verse 50. It says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you in a mystery, show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. There is only one bride. There is only one chorus. There is only one song that we should be tuned to sing. And there will be a day when the heavenly host, as it says, will stand on the balconies of heaven and call us home. But you must be tuned to the song that he's wanting you to sing. We must be finely tuned as we walk every day by the hand of God in order for us to have that same opportunity, in order for us to be able to hear that last trumpet sound, we must be finely tuned by the hand of God. To be a part of the church, you must be in tune with Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 3, as we stand tonight, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering being made conformable unto His death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead that I may know Him that I may be intimately in tune with His nature His character his work, and my life has been washed in His precious, life-giving blood, and that I have His name, the name above all names, applied to my life. I want to be in tune with God. It's not worth it for me to pick up an attitude or have someone else around me that has an attitude that begins to start to pull me out of tune. It's not worth it. You know why? Because there's going to be a song that's going to be sang at the end of all time, and it's going to be come home. And if you are so hung up on something, the world has appealed to you in a way that, oh, well, I can make it work. No, you can't. Because it's changing your sound. It's not letting you play in harmony, in unison. It's not letting you be a part of the song because you're pulling away and saying, oh, well, I, I'll just be this part of the song. I'll be the... We can't make those decisions on our own. We must avail ourselves through submission. We have to be submitted to the plan that God has for us. We have to lay everything aside. I don't care if you're here tonight or listening online. God's reaching for hearts that'll just give everything. We can sing the song, I will give you all. I will give you all. You know, that just doesn't, it can be hollow 
unless you've given him all. You can even sing songs that say, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after a rain. Jesus, 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 let all heaven and earth proclaim. Kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there's something about that name. But if at any point it doesn't ring true in your heart, you need to be finely tuned by the hand of God. Because kings and kingdoms will all pass away, but there is something about that name. Can we lift our hands and talk to Him tonight? God, I want you to tune me. Change me. Make me in your image, God. I must be like you. God, I want nothing that resembles Douglas Goff at all. I must have you. Oh, Master, I worship you. Let's talk to him for a moment tonight, saints. Oh, Master, we love you, Savior.